0: our next sermon series through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We'll start that next week. This morning, the last sermon in this short series of three answering some of life's biggest questions, answering them biblically. So far we've answered what is the meaning of life and what is the key to lasting happiness. If those aren't questions that you've already asked, you will ask them at some point in your life. And interestingly, as we opened God's Word, we found that the answer to both of those questions is the same. The ultimate purpose of your life and the key to your lasting happiness is to live For the glory of God. And if you're here as a Christian today, that is something that you have been enabled by God, by his Holy Spirit in you to do. You actually can live for the glory of God. And that is the meaning and purpose of your life. And it is the key to your joy. Today, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? If we answer that question well, then we will not only be able to endure suffering, but we'll be able to faithfully persevere through suffering to persevere through suffering that is sure to come to every single one of us, to persevere the way Thomas Stonewall Jackson did after losing his wife and newborn son on the same day. There's so many examples that we could look to, but I want to read you a quote. This is something that he wrote on October 22nd, 1854, a week after his wife died in childbirth. And he wrote this to his sister, Laura. And I don't know about you, but when I hear Christians talk like this or write like this, I think to myself, when I have to persevere through suffering, I hope that I can sincerely talk like this. Here's a paragraph of what he wrote. Laura, I have been called to pass through the deep waters of affliction, but all has been satisfied. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is his will that my dear wife and child should no longer abide with me. And as it is his holy will, I am perfectly reconciled to the sad bereavement, though I deeply mourn my loss. My dearest Ellie breathed her last on Sunday evening, the same day on which the child was born dead. Oh, the consolations of the gospel. I can willingly submit to anything if God strengthens me. Oh, my sister, would that you could have him for your God. Though all nature to me is eclipsed, yet I have joy in knowing that God withholds no good things from them that love and keep his commandments. And he will overrule this sad, sad bereavement for good. I would love for us to be able to think like that, and for us to talk like that. But it is only going to be possible if we understand some of what God has to say about pain and suffering. So let's go to God's word. Let's first go to him in prayer, ask him for help. Our Father in heaven, we look forward now to coming underneath your word with this question that we have asked or that we are sure to ask. And we ask that you give us the encouragement, the the truth that we need so that when suffering comes, we can live for your glory. And we ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. I probably don't need to say this, but just in case you thought you might escape, all people, without exception, endure pain and suffering. All people, without exception, as Christians, as Christians, we've actually been set up by God to expect a degree of suffering. Acts 14.22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So on this road to God's kingdom, we don't get to God's kingdom without enduring many tribulations. Now, God did not create a world with pain and suffering. You can go to the beginning of your Bible and read that. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, there is no sin and there is no sorrow. In Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, and with it, pain and suffering. You could look ahead to the end of your Bible and see, just like the first two chapters, in the last two chapters, there is also no sin and no sorrow. But between those four chapters, and that is the world in which we live, it is full of evil and suffering. Here's what our confession says, the 1689 London Baptist Confession in chapter 6, paragraph 1. God created humanity upright and perfect. He gave them a righteous law that would have led to life if they had kept it, but threatened death if they broke it. Yet they did not remain for long in this position of honor. Satan used the craftiness of the serpent to seduce Eve, who then seduced Adam. Adam acted without any outside compulsion and deliberately transgressed the law of their creation and the command given to them by eating the forbidden fruit. God was pleased in keeping with his wise and holy counsel to permit this act because he had purposed to direct it for his own glory. But why? That's the question that can nag at us. Why? We ask that question theologically. How do we reconcile evil in the world with the goodness of God? Or we ask that question philosophically. Here's how it's been put for centuries. If God is all-powerful and evil exists, then he must not be all-good. And if he's all-good and evil exists, then he must not be all-powerful. But if he is, as we claim, all-powerful and all-good, how do we explain the evil in the world? Or we've asked it personally. Why is God allowing me to suffer? Why are bad things happening to me? Or why are these bad things and suffering happening to this person that I love? What is the purpose of my pain and suffering? What is the purpose of their pain and suffering? These are the kinds of questions that I've heard people ask over and over again. These are the kinds of questions that I've asked over and over again. And unfortunately, I've heard some wrong answers. I'm sure you have too. Here are two of them. The first wrong answer that I've heard is, the world is full of pain and suffering because God is not good, that there is a God but He is not good. He's an evil God, He's a sadistic God, He is a mean God. This is not true. Deuteronomy 32:4 was read before the sermon, and I'll read it again. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God is good. In the New Testament, in 1 John 1, 5, it puts it this way, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is good. Not to mention, it is a little silly to say that suffering exists because God is mean, because God is the one through Jesus out of his great love for us that suffers the most. No one has suffered more than God through Christ on the cross. So the answer is clearly not that God is not good. The second wrong answer is that the world is full of pain and suffering because God is not all powerful. He must not be all powerful. The assumption is if he was, then he would end pain and suffering. He wouldn't allow it. It goes like this, that pain and suffering exist in the world because God can't do anything about it. He's not powerful enough to prevent it or... A very similar answer, he is powerful enough, but he has imposed limits on himself. God has imposed limits on himself, but this is not what the Bible teaches. It is true that suffering is the result of sin, and it is true that People like you and me freely choose to sin. And it is also true that Satan is the ruler of this world. He's called that multiple times. He's the ruler of the world and he is the one that tempts us to sin. And he is the one that lures people into sin. But it is also true that God is sovereign over Satan and sin and suffering. I wonder if you can handle this quote of Martin Luther when he said, the devil is God's devil. This isn't more clear anywhere than in the book of Job. You could read just a few chapters and figure this out. Job was tormented by Satan himself, probably something that will never happen to you. Job was tormented, though, by Satan himself. He suffered greatly, as far as I can tell, other than Jesus, more than anyone in the entire Bible. And yet he only suffered by the permission of God. These are hard truths at first, but it is inescapable. You remember his wife came and said to him in chapter 2, Knowing and believing that God was in control and God was sovereign over his suffering and could have prevented and so was permitting and allowing Job to suffer, her encouragement to him was, why don't you just curse God and die? And his response was, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. And then he said this, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? He said, good comes our way and God is behind it. And when evil comes our way, God is still behind it. And you might read that and hear Job say that and think, Job, that's wrong what you just said. When good things happen to us, God is behind them. But I've been raised to believe that when bad things happen, God is in no way behind them. What you said was wrong, Job. Well, the author anticipated that you would feel that way. And so the very next sentence after Job says, Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Is this commentary in Job 2.10. In all this... Job did not sin with his lips. Job understood the sovereignty of God. That when people say that God is not all powerful and that is why there is sin and pain and suffering in the world, it is just not true. Dr. Don Carson wrote, The losses Job faced were... On the natural plane, the result of a mixture of human malice, the Sabians, the Chaldeans, and of natural disasters, the fire, the wind. But behind them stood Satan, and behind Satan stood God himself. Amos 3.6 Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? I can still remember like it was yesterday, the first time these truths started to wave over me. And I can remember feeling uneasy. And I can remember being uncomfortable. And if you feel that way, it's totally understandable. But don't stop. Keep pressing in to the truth of God's word. It will be good for you. Isaiah 45:7, God. I form light and create darkness. I make well being and create calamity. And that word is a word. There is no stronger word to describe pain and suffering and disaster. It's shocking. I am the Lord who does all these things. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God besides me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Again, our confession in chapter 3, paragraph 1. From all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs everything that occurs without reference to anything outside Himself. And He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably. So the answer is not that God is not good, and the answer is not that God is not all-powerful. God is good good, and God is great, which brings us back to our question then why? If God is in control and no one and nothing is more powerful than he, Satan is not more powerful, free will is not more powerful, If God is in control of all these things, then what is the purpose of them? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Or why is there pain and suffering in my life? So here is how I'd like to answer this question. Generally and then specifically. I'd like to answer the question that God gives through His Word generally, and then more specifically. So let's start by answering the question generally, and this answer is based on what we've already studied in this sermon series, and so I want you to think for a second. What have we learned these past two weeks, and how does that apply to this question of why? There is so much pain and suffering. Well, an overview, general answer to that question has to be, there is pain and suffering in the world for the glory of God and the good of his people. We can get more specific, but that has to be, The answer, there is pain and suffering in the world for the glory of God and for the good of His people. Evidently, God has decided that a world full of evil and suffering is the best world in which to display His glory. Evidently. Without the reality of evil and suffering, perhaps we would not understand the justice and the mercy of God. Without the reality of evil and suffering, Jesus would not have to die. And it is in the death of Jesus that the glory of God shines most brightly. Pain and suffering in the world must serve God's purpose to display His glory and be praised because this is God's overarching purpose in all things. So the answer to this question has to fit beneath what has been made clear to us in Scripture, that God's overarching purpose in everything, this includes everything, is to display His Godness and then to be praised. So generally speaking... This is the answer. And not only for the glory of God, but pain and suffering among God's people is intended for their good. Pain and suffering in your life is intended for your good. Here are just two verses one in the Old Testament and one in the new. In the Old Testament, this is what Joseph had to say to his awful brothers, his brothers who were wicked, who were abusive toward him, who didn't care about him, who left him for dead, and were responsible for all that they did with their bad intentions and their bad motives. And behind them, Satan's bad motives and bad intentions. And then Joseph looks out at those brothers in Genesis fifty twenty and says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Not God figured out how to use it for good. But God intended it, intended my suffering, meant my suffering for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then spoken directly to you as a Christian in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And the all things is, of course, meant to bring to mind the pain and the suffering. We don't wonder how the good and easy and comfortable things in our life work together for good. That's not a question we ever ask. All things, including your suffering, are worked together for good. Now let's get even more practical and specific because we can. How is suffering used by God for His glory and for our good? And I'll give you six ways. And if you remember one, you'll be better off. If we can remember these and if God would be gracious and, and bring them to mind when we're suffering. We will be able to faithfully persevere. Number one, Christians suffer so that they may know victory through Christ. Victory. Suffering is on the way to victory. Suffering is on the way to winning. Suffering is on the way to conquering. Romans 8 beginning in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall, and here's a list of pain and suffering. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, the answer to his question. He says, no, In all these things, all this pain and suffering, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Christians suffer so that they may know that conquering, so that they may know victory that comes through Christ. Number two. Christians suffer so that they may know God's great love for them. Christians suffer so that they may know God's tender care for them. Let me read you three verses. Job 5.18 For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Psalm one hundred forty-seven, three. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Romans eight, thirty-eight. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christians will suffer so that they may know God's great love for them. Number three, Christians suffer so that they may be comforted and then comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Christians suffer so that they may be comforted and then comfort others. Number four. Christians suffer so that they may learn to trust God. It is through suffering that we learn to trust God. When do you question God? When do you doubt God? When do you struggle to trust God? When do you need to rely on God? It is through pain and it is through suffering. 1 Corinthians 1.8 For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That is serious suffering. And this kind of suffering is mentioned many places in your Bible where people who love and trust God want to die. Because the suffering is that intense. He says, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And then he says this, but that, that is that pain, that suffering, that despair, that affliction, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. In other words, the God who can do anything. And God in His grace and mercy, He will bring His people to the end of themselves. Where they can no longer trust in themselves, where they can no longer rely on themselves, so that they would learn to rely on God. Christians suffer so that they may learn to trust God. Number five, Christians suffer so that they will mature. Christians suffer so that they will mature. The closest the world gets to this is whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Christians suffer so that they will mature, so that we will become men and women of God, so that we will become more like Jesus. That does not happen on easy street. It happens through trial. It happens through trouble and difficulty and pain and adversity and suffering. It is made clear in Hebrews that if God loves you, if God loves you, you can know that there's going to be a degree of suffering in your life because that suffering is going to grow you. It's going to develop you. It's going to mature you. It's going to strengthen you. Romans 5 verse 3 Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Be careful. There's one more. But be careful. We're going to God's Word and we're asking God, we've got this reality of pain and suffering in our world. We've got the reality of our struggles with it and with our questions. God, tell us, reveal to us in your Word what answers do you have? And God doesn't give us all the answers. And God's ways are beyond our ways, and God's thoughts are beyond our thoughts, and God is infinite, and we are finite. God doesn't give us all the answers, and he doesn't explain everything to us. So we're not trying to say that, hey, in these six points, every question is answered, and this should just be resolved and move along. No, these are six truths in Scripture, and now our job as His children is to trust Him as our loving Father. And be careful not to hear the answers that God gives, and then say something to God like, well, why wouldn't you just do this another way? Or why even allow pain at all? And wouldn't it be better if just there was no suffering and no evil? And wouldn't we actually trust you then and and life would be good and and we would be happier? Suffering is terrible. Why would you have this be a part of the path to your glory and to our good? And just, just know that when you're talking like that to God, you're not talking like a Christian. And when you're When you're talking to God like that, you're not talking like one who loves Him and believes Him and trusts Him. We're not saying that any of this is easy. We're certainly not saying that any of this comes natural. But when we don't feel this way, when we don't think this way, we must repent. We must confess that as sin to God. And we must return to His Word and say, God, help me to believe that this is true and to trust you. Number six, Christians suffer so that their joy will be full when Christ returns. You may not like the way I'm going to say this, but I believe this to be true. Christians suffer so that they will be happier in heaven. Let me read you two verses. 1 Peter four twelve. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice, is the end here. So that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So there is a direct link between your suffering and your joy. And so he says, rejoice when you share in Christ's sufferings, when you just taste the suffering of Christ. No one has suffered like Christ. But we may suffer a little in this life. And when we do, we're told by Peter that we should rejoice Because it is going to lead to our gladness when his glory is revealed. And then 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, this future hope that's waiting for us, who, this is us, by God's power, we are being guarded now through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, You rejoice because of what's coming now. You rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But it is so that, this pain and suffering so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. This suffering will result one day in praise and glory and honor when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christians suffer so that their joy will be full when Christ returns. That's how from God's perspective, elsewhere in Scripture, he can describe even the worst suffering in this short life as light and momentary. Because of the 10,000 blessings that are waiting. You think there's anyone in heaven looking back and mourning the past? You think there's anyone in heaven that's shaking their fist at God? You think there's anyone in heaven that is questioning God's plan? Do you think there's anyone in heaven that, that can't see how everything worked together for good? No, there is not one. God's glory will be revealed and our joy will be full. In conclusion, though the specific meaning of particular pain is rarely explained right it's extremely rare in my experience as a human being and as a pastor it's extremely rare that the specific meaning of a particular pain that you're enduring is explained it sure wasn't for Job I mean we know more than Job knew Very rarely is it explained, but we can 100% know that it will be used for the glory of God and for our good. And so what must we do? In our pain and in our suffering, we must cry out to God and trust him. That's it. We must cry out to God and trust him. And I will close with two verses, but first a quote from Octavius Winslow. And if you don't know him yet, you should get to know him. But he says this about our pain and our suffering and trusting God. Let us learn from this subject to welcome all our Father's varied dealings, be they couched in good or evil, all are good. The curse removed and sin canceled by Jesus, there is no real evil, even in the most afflictive dispensation of our God. Accept then your sorrow, receive your trial, welcome your affliction As a good enveloped, hidden and invisible now, but afterwards to shine forth as the sun. When the storm cloud that draped it melts into light and beauty. Not my will, O my Father, but yours be done. Before long, our good will be unmixed and unmingled. No sin will embitter our happiness. No sorrow will becloud our joy. Our sun shall no more go down. Neither shall the moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be an everlasting light. And the days of our mourning shall be ended. So Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. And Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil, it will be healing To your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Amen. In response to God's word, let's take the Lord's Supper together today. Let's pause for a few minutes and think. To think about the goodness of God, to think about the greatness of God. To look at the cross where we see ultimate pain and ultimate suffering. And to know that our God was there willingly, enduring that pain and that suffering in order to end suffering. And so we as Christians here today have turned from sin and turned from our own way. And we've turned to God, trusting and relying on Him and living for Him. And so we take communion together. If you're not a Christian, this meal is not for you. But if you are a Christian, if you have believed this gospel and placed your faith in Christ, you've committed yourself to Him and His body, His people. Whether you're committed here or at another church that preaches the same gospel, we as Christians, we will take this supper together this morning. We'll have leaders up front to serve you if you're visiting. We ask that you would come forward and and take the bread and the juice and then return to your seat. And then please wait, and we'll take it together as a church family. Let's pray together again. Our Father in heaven, you have been so good to us. And you have provided for all of our needs in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we stand before you today and we have had all your grace poured out on us. You have been merciful to us, patient and kind. And all of this is possible because he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be reconciled to you. So in obedience to you now, God, we will take this bread and this juice and we will remember, we will celebrate this truth. We love you and give you all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.